Hey, well, today is Easter, and I'm very excited about our Easter message today. I've entitled, Easter is about the one. Everybody say, the one. I love Easter. It is the greatest holiday. It's the central holiday for the Christian. We celebrate Christmas really big in, in America, but the truth is, without Easter, we don't have a faith at all. Jesus did come, and he was born, but he came to give his life for us and to die and resurrect. Easter is great for a lot of reasons, Jesus being the center point of Easter. But I, let me tell you one other great reason for Easter. It's called Cadbury Mini Eggs. Can I get a witness from the house today, everybody? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about them big, gooey ones with the stuff inside. Those are gross. I'm talking about the mini eggs straight from heaven. Can I, hit, can I get a witness? We love them so much. We'll have them for you as you leave the church service today at both locations. Let's go. Jesus loves you. So do we. Easter is more than just one day of the year. Easter for the Christian is our testimony every day. We believe that our Lord lives. We believe that our God reigns. We believe in a risen Jesus. It's our daily confession. We worship on Sundays because Christ arose on a Sunday. Some people still wanna debate, we should worship on Saturday, Sabbath day, blah, blah. No, Jesus rose on Sunday and we worship on Sunday. And by the way, we worship every day because we serve a risen Christ. Can I hear an amen? I'm gonna ask you to say amen a lot because you just won't give it freely. So y'all just be ready for that. Amen? <laughs> I've already heard this sermon. So listen, this is for you, all right? Let me tell you some of the things we believe at LifePoint Church. We believe the second person of the Godhead, we follow a Trinitarian Godhead, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're united as one all the time. The second person of the Godhead, God the Son, Jesus Christ, willingly gave his life for us on the cross of Calvary. Some people wanna accuse God of cosmic father abuse, that he sent his son down there and just whooped up on him and threw him on a cross. That's not true. God the son chose to give his life. He chose to vacate the heavens and come and humble himself and live with us and live a sinless life. And he chose to willingly give his life for us on the cross of Calvary. Jesus lived a sinless life. He gave himself as a ransom payment for you and me to pay the penalty for our sins. Our sins aren't forgiven if Jesus did not die for us. The scripture shows that he was falsely accused numerous times. He was tried in public. He was beaten ruthlessly, mocked by many as a king, and they, they thrust a crown of thorns, dug it into his head, pulling his beard out, spitting on his face. He was whipped mercilessly until his flesh was shredded apart and pulled off of his body. Then he was hung naked, on a Roman torture device known as a cross. He hung on that cross silently, never defending himself. The only words he uttered were words of compassion and prayer and forgiveness. But he hung on that cross without defense, carrying on it our sin, carrying our shame. He bore our grief and enduring in himself, God the Son, enduring in himself the due penalty for the sin of all humanity. Jesus didn't just die for preachers and Christians. Jesus died for everybody. He was crucified for us so that we might receive forgiveness of sins. The Bible records that when he died, the sky went dark for hours. High noon, the sky went dark. The Bible says the earth quaked upon his death. There was a curtain in the temple in the mount, on the mountain in Jerusalem and, the, and there was a curtain, it was four feet thick from floor to ceiling that separated the common areas of the temple from the holy area where God's presence dwelled. And when Jesus 
yielded his spirit and died. The Bible says that curtain tore from the top to the bottom, now figuratively and literally opening access for all people to come and meet with a holy God. We remember his body at birth. The Bible says in Luke chapters two and three, we see the birth story of Jesus, how he was wrapped in cloths and he was held in a borrowed stable, a borrowed manger. Now at his death, Jesus taken down from the cross is again wrapped in cloths and placed this time in a borrowed tomb. And the people waited for that weekend to come and go. Can you imagine being one of the disciples waiting from Friday to Sunday? He said he was gonna rise. I don't know when it's gonna happen. Have you heard? Waiting in darkness and anticipation for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then it happened. The Bible declares in Galatians, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that dwells in us. Like at his baptism, the spirit of the living God rushed upon the body of Jesus and breath suddenly began to return into his lungs. Blood began coursing through his veins again as his heart began pumping once again. His eyes opened and came into crystal clear focus. The color flushed back into his skin as he sat up on that slab of stone and the giant stone that blocked the doorway of the tomb was rolled back by the power of Almighty God. Our Lord is alive and well. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Can I hear an amen from the church today? Luke 24 verse 1 picks up the story and I want us to read it together. Luke 24 starting in verse 1. On that first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Now, who are they? They is a small group of women who are going to bring some spices to anoint his body. They, take, they were taking spices that they had prepared and they found the stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they went, they did not find the body of Jesus in the tomb. They were perplexed about this and behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. These two men in dazzling apparel were angels and as they were frightened, the ladies bowed their face to the ground and the angel said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Come on, somebody. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And then the angel said, remember how he told you while he was still at Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day he will rise. I love that the angels point people to the words of Jesus. Can I remind you to get familiar with the words of Jesus, church? Stay close to the words of Jesus. So they remembered his words when the angels reminded them and they returned from the tomb quickly. Now watch this. And they told all these things to the 11 remaining disciples and to all the rest. Here we have a picture that there's a room full of people waiting on this resurrection. The 11 disciples, remember Judas is now gone because he's killed himself in grief and the 11 remaining disciples and then all the rest. We don't even know who all the rest are but we're gonna meet two of them in just a moment. Now, they ran back to tell the 11 and all the rest all the things that had happened. Christ is risen, the angel spoke to us and notice who it was, verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, it was Joanna, it was Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told all these things to the apostles. Can I just pause and say, it was women who first preached Jesus was alive. Come on, ladies, get your preach on. Let's go. Some of y'all are like, I cannot believe he just said that women preach. Well, it's in the Bible. They were the first ones to preach. Guess what the guys were doing, sleeping. Come on, ladies. 
Verse 11, when the men heard it, these words seemed like an idle tale and they didn't believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. Look at this. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. I love that Jesus, when he woke up, made his bed. Y'all see that? He folded his clothes. Kids, make your bed if you want to be like Jesus when you wake up. Amen. Parents, you're welcome. They saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling. Peter didn't go back to the disciples. He went home marveling at what had happened. Hey, listen, I just, I gotta say it because I'm so excited about this. Jesus Christ is alive. It's Sunday, everybody. He is alive, he is risen, he is risen indeed. This is the greatest news of the world. This is the centerpiece of the Christian faith. Jesus died for our sin and he raised from the dead to defeat death for us. He is alive. We still believe this. God's not dead, he lives. He's raised from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of God, the Father. He is our risen King. He is our Savior. This is our confession as the body of Christ. We believe that he died to pay for our sin. If he didn't die, your sins are still hung on you and they've not been paid for. We also believe that he raised from the dead and in raising from the dead, he defeated death, the power of death, the sting of death, and look at me, and he gives you the only way of eternal life and eternal living. You can live like an eternal being today because Jesus raised from the dead. He conquered sin and death for you. Can somebody say amen? We receive this by faith. Ephesians 2.8 says it like this. We are saved by grace through faith. You ever read that verse before? We are saved by grace through faith. Let me explain it for you. It's God's grace that did this. God graciously did it. He offered this good news. You only get to hear this good news because God is gracious to you. And your response is that through your faith, you receive it. You, by your faith, go, I heard the grace of God, I heard the good news of God, and by faith I receive it, I internalize it into my life, and I yield myself to Christ by faith. It's by God's grace and through our faith that we're saved. I wanna challenge the church today. The grace of God has been made available to you. Will you, by faith, receive this good news? Will you, by faith, receive all that God has done for you? The text in Luke 24, it's already enough to finish an Easter message. Honestly, I could shut down the service now and send you home early. You can get to breakfast before brunch. Come on, Jesus. This is the center of our Christian faith. We serve a risen king, a God who's very much alive. In fact, on Easter for centuries, we've had this call and response. Someone says, Christ is risen. And the response is, he is risen indeed. Let's try it. Christ is risen. risen Amen. That is our confession. But I want us to continue in Luke 24, because honestly what we see next is something that I think reflects the state of the church, I think reflects the needs of our world, and I think what we see next points us to the hope that we only have in Jesus Christ. Turn with me again in Luke 24, and let's pick up in verse 13. So remember what's already happened. Christ is risen, the women are preaching about it, Peter goes to see it, the, the cloths are left on the, on the slab, Peter goes home. Verse 13 says, that very day, two of them, who are the them? Remember that crowd in verse nine, the 11 disciples and all the rest. So two of the rest of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about a seven mile walk from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now, first of all, 
where are y'all going? <laughs> I mean, the ladies just came back and said, Jesus is alive. He's not in the tomb. Let's go to Springfield, Tennessee. Like that just doesn't make sense. Go to Jerusalem, go to the tomb and look for yourself. Anyway, I just wonder, you know, I wanna meet these guys one day and go, where the heck were y'all going? Seven miles out of town, they're going to another city. Now watch this, verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, look here, Jesus himself drew near and started walking with them. Can you imagine just walking down the street? Man, that was crazy. Them ladies came up here early this morning talking about Jesus. And then all of a sudden this third dude comes up and starts walking with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing. They didn't recognize him. And he says to them, I love Jesus. He's such a boss, right? He goes, um, what are y'all talking about? What is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And it says, they came, they stood still, they were sad. That's my Easter play, everybody, that's it. Didn't need a donkey or nothing, man, that's it. I'm, a, I'm an actor. They came and they were sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him. <laughs> Look what he says to Jesus. <laughs> you ever meet somebody and you didn't know who they were? Like the principal of the school, and you're like, hey, where's this principal at? That's me. You know, like, that's happened to me a few times as pastor. I met guests, you know, on a Sunday, and they didn't know who I was. And sometimes it's really hilarious. Sometimes it's not. It's really sad. But sometimes it's really hilarious. I've been really mistreated by folks thinking they didn't know who I was. It was funny. Anyway, I find it hilarious. You don't have to. So as they were talking, Jesus says, what are y'all talking about? And they said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? And I wonder if Jesus is going, hmm. So he goes, what things happened in Jerusalem? What? <laughs> I mean, what a baller move. He doesn't tell him. <laughs> no, I haven't. He's just covering his wrists, you know, the scars. He's like, no, what are we talking about? <laughs> and they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, he was a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and mighty in word before God and before all the people and how our, our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. They're telling Jesus what happened to Jesus because they don't recognize Jesus. And they said, we had hoped, this is the verse of the whole sermon, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, now it's the third day of Sunday since all these things happened. It's three days. Can I just pause for a second? And I just wanna say, this is a very troubling text, actually. I know I'm joking about kind of the interchange between him and Jesus, but, but honestly, it's really troubling. It's a sad reality. These two guys were obvious fans of Jesus, followers of Jesus. They were uh, familiar with the story of Jesus. They, they knew it so well, they're telling Jesus what happened to Jesus. And they were talking about Jesus. Listen, and then Jesus showed up and they didn't recognize him. What a sad state they are in actually. 
And can I just say, when Jesus walks in, they don't recognize, it. may it never be said of us that we are so busy talking about Jesus and being around Jesus' people that we miss out when Jesus himself shows up. My Lord, God help us. What a terrible thing it would be for us, LifePoint, to be so busy planting churches and discipling people and baptizing folks and putting them in next steps and putting them in small groups and being around Jesus' people and doing Jesus-y things that when the Lord himself shows up in a service or in our home or with our family, that we fail to recognize the very presence of God. Listen, you and I have to know the Lord personally. How in the world were they not able to see him for who he was when he's literally asking, what's going on with you guys, that they spent hours with him? I wanna encourage you, don't just know about Jesus, but you need to know the Lord Jesus yourself. You need to have a prayer life, a devotion life, a worship life. You need, to have, you need to have an ability to hear the voice of God when he speaks to you and have personal intimacy with God. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Do you even sense the presence of God right now? Or are you just enamored with an Easter service and an, and an early time slot? Listen, don't miss the presence of God because you're busy talking about God. The book of Revelation chapter two tells this warning to the church at Ephesus. Jesus himself, through John the Revelator, writes this letter to the church at Ephesus and he says, Man, I am so aware keenly of everything you're doing. I see what you're doing. You're holding leaders accountable. You're doing great things. And Jesus says, you're doing everything for my name's sake. And then he says, here's what I have against you, church. He, only, he writes this to Christians. He says, here's what I have against you. You don't love me. You love working for me, you don't love me. You love doing for me, you don't love me. Listen, church, please don't have 52 weeks of perfect church attendance and no relationship with Jesus. Y'all hear what I'm saying, everybody? What a sad state. And I'll be honest, like I coach a lot of pastors. I help a lot of churches. We do as a team. But man, what a sad state of affairs it would be. And I'm afraid that there are churches all around the country that are meeting every week and doing Jesus-y things. But yet we don't have the presence of the Lord with us. Man, God help us. So Jesus responds when they said, we had hoped he was the one. Jesus responds and he said, oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, notice he doesn't say that I, they still don't know who he is. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, look at this, Bible study with Jesus. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. First of all, what an amazing God we serve. You'd think he'd be busy going, hey guys, I don't have time to talk to y'all about this. I gotta get over there to Peter and the guys in Jerusalem. He spends hours with these two guys who are talking about him but don't know him. He spends hours going, let me show you. In fact, turn in your Bible with me to the book of Exodus chapter three. And now jump over with me to Numbers. Hey, you know what? Hop on over to Jeremiah and Isaiah. Let's look at Lamentations for a few minutes. And all of these verses are talking about the Christ. He spends so much time with these two guys. If you go on and read the chapter, it says they talked for so long that the guys were like, hey, just come to our house for dinner. And so Jesus is probably going, you gotta be kidding me right now. Okay, yeah, sure. Hey, no problem. I've got eternity. Um, Yes, let's go eat. So Jesus goes to dinner to these guys home. And the Bible goes on to say that while they were having dinner, he broke bread and he blessed it. And that's when they go, oh my gosh, you're him. 
hey, I, I don't want us to be caught off guard with the presence of God, that we spend hours a week with him in a church service and we don't recognize when he's with us. Church, can I hear from you today? Listen, I want you to be keenly aware of the presence of God in your life every day. Don't let him surprise you when something spiritual happens. He broke bread and blessed it and they're like, oh my gosh, we've been talking to you the whole time. You know what Jesus did after that? He breaks bread and he blessed it and then it says, and he vanished. What a Jedi. Come on. (laughs) Jesus is like, deuces, and he dips out of the room. He just left. Man, it's cool to be Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, he just has it like that. How gracious is our God? He spent hours with these dudes. I mean, it's the first interaction he has after his resurrection in Luke's gospel. He's like four hours with two guys and just exposing the Bible to them and the truth about Christ. And then he comes in to have a meal with them. And as soon as they recognize him, he's like, all right, bye. You know why? Because I think he's on to the next person that needs him. I think he's, on, he's going to the next crowd that needs to hear from him. And by the way, those two guys immediately run to the 11 disciples and they go, oh my gosh, we've been with him for the last five hours. We didn't even recognize him. He is alive, he's alive. Man, I'm intrigued by this story. I encourage you today to read all of Luke 24. It's a great, great text. But I wanna come back to verse 21. Really, again, is the theme verse for the rest of my talk today. They said, we had hoped he was the one. And I wanna give you three thoughts as I close out our time together. First of all, everybody's looking for the one. I'm not talking the bachelor ladies, come on now. Everybody on the planet is looking for their one way to God, their one journey to divinity, their one way to find God. Can I prove it to you today? These disciples said something that everyone on earth is actually trying to figure out. Everyone's trying to find one way, their unique way, their their direction, their denominational uh, 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 peculiarity to God, whether it's through a known world religion, whether it's through the exploration of our true self, branding ourselves with our identity, or it's trying to be good enough to behave our way to God, or even being an anti-God atheist deciding no God is my God and that's my God. Listen, the human quest is a quest for truth. It's a quest for personal significance. It's a journey to find meaning and purpose and a journey to find one way to God that makes sense to you. We come up with statements like all roads lead to God. That's not true, but that's a reality that all kinds of people are trying to find their one ways to God through shamanism, through Islam, through, through other kinds of ritualistic behaviors. No matter what you call God, it's because God created humans with his image and his likeness. That means we're hardwired as image bearers of God. And because of that, the image of God in us, it's like a homing beacon, a tracking device, bringing us back to find him. We're hardwired with this internal compass to find the one. The problem is humans keep messing it up. And we keep creating new ways and reinventing new one ways back to God. Well, this is the way to God. I'm the new prophet of God. I'm the one that speaks for God. And our attempts to get to God or to become God have left us confused. According to some researchers, there are over 4,300 major world religions. That doesn't include the crazy splinter groups and cults around the world. 4,300 major accepted religions in the world. They're all attempts to locate a new one way to God. 
Just within Christianity in the U.S., there are 200 brands of Christianity, all divided over doctrinal ways to God. And around the world, there are estimated 45,000 denominations or divisions within Christianity trying to get people one way to God. Why do I mention that? Because everyone on the planet is searching for the one the one to believe in, the one path to make ourselves good or to make ourselves God, the one philosophy or politic, the latest one book in the Oprah book club, the one way to be divine. People are searching for the one to save us, to change us, to excuse our sin, never to forgive it or change us, the one to enable us to do more sin. The world has millions of pathways that we call the one way to God. And then Jesus comes along and says, I'm the one way to God. We believe Jesus Christ is the one you're looking for. I want everyone to look at my face, my real face, my screen face. Look, Jesus is the one you're actually looking for. You think you're searching for truth in your identity or your woke self or your true self. You think you're finding truth in some other religious expression or pluralism. No, no, no. Jesus is the one you're looking for. There is no other one. God doesn't have a plan B. God doesn't have another way to himself. There's one God and there's one way to God and it's Christ. Recently, I was on a flight back from Tanzania and I sat next to this lady. It was a long flight. and uh, I was in Tanzania, which is Eastern Africa. And, and as soon as we got on the flight, uh, she looked at me and she was wearing like kind of climbery gear, you know, nylon pants and whatnot. And she looked at me and she goes, did you come to climb Mount Kilimanjaro too? I was like, girl, look at me. Do I look like I climbed a mountain? I said, no, I was on the ground the whole time. I said, I'm tall, that's high enough for me. She said, well, I came to climb Kilimanjaro. It was a bucket list and I'm so thankful that I got it done. I said, did you make the summit? She said, I did. I said, way to go, high five. I did it real high too, because she's short. It was funny. As we sat down for this long flight, we're talking about what her climb and I'm asking her questions. And then she says, so what do you do before we even took off? I'm like, this could be a really long flight if you ask that question. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. I was here with a missions organization doing some, um, some compassion work. And she said, well, I believe in God and I believe in a higher power and I respect you for what you believe, but I believe in God. And I said, well, who is that? And I think it's a fair question if someone throws out, you know, I believe in God, just ask that simple, who is that? Who is God? And then she said, well, I don't really know who he is. I said, well, how do you believe in someone you don't know? I said, well, I know who the higher power is. I know who God is. It's Jesus Christ, the eternal God, the son who died on the cross for my sin and raised from the dead for us to give us new life. And she said, I don't understand why Christians believe Jesus is the one way to God. And I said, well, I'll be glad to answer that for you. It's what I do for a living. I talk about Jesus. And I said, I'll be blunt and direct, but don't let me be offensive. And I said, if I talk too long, you just tell me to shut up. She said, no, please, I wanna know. How is it that you believe Jesus is the one way to God with so many religions in the world and so many people following so many different ways to God? And I said, well, if I can be really blunt and gentle, I will tell you, I believe every religion on the planet is false. She goes, how could you say that? I said, well, I didn't say it first. Jesus said in John 14, six, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I said, look, I didn't make this up. 
I didn't come up with this phrase. And to say I believe every other religion is false, any religion that doesn't include Jesus as the way, I don't believe in. I think there's good people there. I think there's good practices and good morals, but only through Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and putting our faith in him, can anyone come to God the Father? She said, how can you believe such a statement? I said, well, Jesus said it. And either he's a truth teller that there's no other way to God or he's a liar. One of the two is the only way it can be. If he's telling the truth, then all other pathways to God are not a way to God. Conversely, if he was lying that he's not the only way, the only truth and the only way to the only life, then they can't possibly all be true also because every way to God claims to be true. They can't all be true. So either he's telling the truth and he's the only way to God or he's a liar and we still don't know our way to God and I'm hopelessly lost in my sin and without eternity with God. You see, church, I believe God made it very easy and clear for everyone to find him. It's through Christ. It's through Jesus. I believe God did all the hard work. Think about it, so that we can make it easy work for us to come to God. God the Son, Jesus, gave his life for us. He suffered and died. He went to that cross to pay for our sin, and then he not only went to the cross, he endured the cross, but he died and raised from the dead on the third day to offer us eternal life and living. And then he said it. I'm the only way to God. I am the truth of God. I'm the one that gives eternal life. And then he cleaned it up by saying, no one comes to the Father but through me. Hear me when I say it to you today. Jesus Christ is the one way to God. He's the only hope of salvation for sin. He's the only hope from eternal death, from an eternity in hell separated from a holy God. There is no plan B. There is no other one way that will connect you to God. Morals don't save us. Other religions don't save us. Being good enough is a total myth. Only Jesus, God the Son, had the privilege to die in your place he will save you, he will deliver you from your sinful lifestyle, he will redeem your life and make it purposeful again. People get offended by this kind of statement and they go, well that's exclusive, it's not very loving, it's closed-minded, no, no, no. It, we, they say that a loving God would ex wouldn't accept all people that's very exclusive and closed-minded. Of course God loves all people and would accept people from all faith and accepts all good people. The problem is God didn't say that. What God said is he loves the whole confused, divided world so much that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in this thing, whosoever believes in him would have the only way back to himself. Jesus is the exclusive way to God, but it's the in most inclusive offer ever. He said, it's the exclusive way to me and everyone is welcome to come this way. It's the exclusive, inclusive offer of God. He's the one way, Jesus. This is why we keep preaching. This is why we keep planting churches. This is why we're gonna build a campus because we believe in this exclusive truth claim that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. And we also believe it's the most inclusive message the world has to hear. Everyone is welcome to this message. So the whole world is looking for one way to God. Jesus said, I am the one way. And here's what I want you to understand finally. You're the one he did it for. You're the one that was on Jesus' mind. See, Jesus, when he went through the cross, was thinking of you. 
when he suffered on that cross. You're the reason he did it. Please don't ever separate yourself from the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. Your name was on his mind when he hung on that cross, when he was choking on his own blood, when the thorns were digging into his brow, when he gave up his spirit and finally died on the cross of Calvary. You're the one that he did it for. Jesus died so that your sins also may be forgiven. You think, well, I've done too much, I can't be forgiven. That's a lie. Jesus died for your sins as well as mine. And when he rose from the grave, he rose so that you can have eternal life. He didn't just die for preachers or for good people. God so loved the whole world that he gave his life because he's looking for the one and that one is you. I just imagine Jesus catching his breath in that tomb sitting up and shaking it off. Anybody sit up and like bones hurt and everything? Like imagine waking up from the dead. And I just imagine Jesus sitting up on that slab going, oh, I did that for you, Mike. I did that for you, Parker. I did that for you, Ali. I did that for you, Mohammed. I did that for you, Sarah. I did that for you, Terry. You're the one he did it for. You've always been on his mind. You're the reason he came. You're the reason he maintained a sinless life. You're the reason he went to that cross. You're the reason he rose again to offer you one way back to God. There is no other plan. There is no plan B. There's no other God who's gonna come and offer you salvation. There's no other way. It's the exclusive way to God and it's open to everyone. Paul writes in Timothy, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, he said, God, our Savior, who desires, look at this, all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Is that the most inclusive offer ever? There is one God and there is one meteor. Either the Bible's true or it's all a lie. There's one God and there's one mediator between God and men and that's Jesus. He's the only way to God. If you're here today and you're like, well, I, I'm a pluralist and I believe all kinds of ways, you're wrong. And I love you enough to tell you, Jesus has truth for you today. There is one way to God and it's Jesus who gave himself, there it is, the word I've been using all morning, a ransom for who? Everybody, which is the testimony given at the proper time. What's the proper time? Right now, tomorrow morning, every day, Praise God for air conditioning. His heart is for each of you to accept his offer. By grace are we saved. God did it gracefully, graciously. And through faith, we receive it. God did the grace part. You do the faith part. Believe by faith that you're the center of his affection. You're the one he's after. So my question to you, church, is will you accept this free gift of salvation? Will you accept by faith what God has done for you by his grace? And will you give your whole life to Jesus? Next week, I'm gonna preach the follow-up to this message. Now what? But in Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Jesus would say in Mark 7, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So for you to say it means it comes from your heart. You confess out of your heart through your mouth that Jesus is the Lord of my life. He's the boss. He's the ruler. He's the God of my life. And if you believe that God raised him from the dead, see the resurrection is not just something we talk about on Easter. It's something we are convinced happened and is true. 
He said, if you'll confess that and believe that, you're saved. God did the hard work. Here's the easy work for you. Confess it from your heart and believe it and give your life to this thing. For with your heart, you believe and you're justified in your mouth, you confess and are saved. He says, everyone who believes in Jesus will never be put to shame. I wanna lead you in a time of prayer and response. And for some of you, you've not heard this gospel put this way before. And I wanna call every single one of you that have heard this to give your life to Jesus today, to accept the gracious gift of God in the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of Christ and accept by faith that God did that for you. You're the one that he did it for. Can I ask everyone at every location to stand to your feet? Come on, we're gonna close in a time of prayer. And I wanna ask you if you would to just close your eyes for a moment, bow your head. We'll be done in one minute. And let me just ask you around the room, if you say, Pastor Mike, that's a service for me. Today is my day, Easter Sunday. I'm going all in with Jesus. I believe what he did for me. Nobody's looking around. Come on, quit looking at me. Look at, just put your heart on the Lord today. And you say, Pastor Mike, pray with me. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I believe by faith that he did that for me and I'm the one he was after. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Come on, all around the room. Thank you. Come on, all around the room. I don't need you to move. I just want you to raise your hand. You don't have to come this way. Just raise your hand. Anybody else? Yes. Come on, you say, I believe in Jesus, that he did it for me, that I'm the one he died for, and I wanna receive by faith what he offered for me today. And I wanna give my life to Jesus. Easter Sunday is the day your eternity changed. Come on, I want everybody to pray this with me and mean it from the bottom of your heart. Say, God, I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sin and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. I confess my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. Say, I receive your salvation and I will live for you for the rest of my life. Eternal life starts today. In Jesus' name, come on everybody, amen, amen.